David Eichel, HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the Swarmcast in another episode. Please be joined by Sean Bach. Sean, how are you holding up? Are you, uh, are, you, are you back home now? No, I'm still in Iowa City. Um, had a couple of things I had to take care of school-wise and personal stuff. So, you know, I'm back in Iowa City um, for the next couple of days. Probably leaving tomorrow or later tonight. Not really sure yet. But, yeah, it's kind of been what I've been up to. It's a weird time of year because – I mean, no one's really around here and no one's really back home yet either. <laughs> so I'm kind of like in limbo with everything. Like I've, I've been able to get a lot of stuff done, but it's kind of like, you know, usually at this point, like there'd be a lot more going on, I guess, yeah. in terms of social events. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that, it feels like it's just been that way the entire year though, uh, to say the least, but yeah, man, it's uh definitely an interesting time. I know basketball is finally underway. I mean, We'll get on this in a little bit, Sean, but before we dive into football, I mean, the Big Ten right now is looking as good as advertised. I think Michigan State, I think everyone, most people that have a clue about Tom Izzo kind of knew they'd come out with a really good team. Hauser's looking good. Rocket Watts. I mean, that that's going to be a very formidable team that could win the Big Ten. Wisconsin's taking care of business. And despite the loss to Baylor and the scare against Ohio, Illinois looks like it's going to be all the preseason hype, basically all the preseason hype and what people are saying about them. It looks like it's going to be true. Yeah. Best conference basketball. I really don't think um, you could really argue with that. I mean, you can make, you could make something, you can make a case for the big 12, just be at the top um, with like Texas Baylor um, and Kansas. But I think when you look at the big 10 top to bottom, like that's the most loaded conference, like Northwestern probably won't do that much this year. Penn State's not going to be great. Nebraska's struggling. But you look at, you know, the bottom that are probably projected of winning records. You got Maryland, Purdue, Minnesota. Minnesota is one of the best players in the country this year, Marcus Carr. And Mm -hmm. Purdue has a lot of pieces that you like. Maryland's going to be solid. Rutgers is a top 25 team. Then you got Iowa, Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, Indiana, Michigan State. Now Indiana struggled against Texas the other day, but I think they're going to have a pretty good squad this year. There's just going to be no easy games. I mean, I know that's a cliche every year, but I truly think this is one of the years where the Big Ten, like it's it's a – I don't want to say, but it's a it's a crapshoot at the top, like yeah. everywhere. I mean, I really don't have a good feel. I think it could come down to the last, you know, two or three games of the year, maybe even the last game of the year, to see who we're crowning as Big Ten champions. But you'll Did, love didn't to see Indiana, the Didn't Indiana come out and beat Stanford, though? I mean, crushed yeah. them. Trace Jackson yeah. Davis had 30. I mean, Armand Franklin outdueled Zaire Williams. Yeah, it was a really, really good effort from Indiana. And, you know, there's a couple other teams that put together good wins. I mean, Illinois was right in it with Baylor until that stretch of the game um, where Baylor kind of just shot the lights out. Like, Illinois wasn't even playing that bad. And Baylor just came out of nowhere and was just hitting shots like none other. And, um, you know, Michigan State had a big win the other day against Duke. Wisconsin's been playing well. Um, Ohio State's been decent. Like, there's there's just so much talent in this league, and it's really going to be fun to watch, and it makes it really unpredictable too, which I think is the best part of it because, you know, you look at some years, you're like, okay, you know, Michigan State's going to be at the top. Ohio State's going to be at the top. Wisconsin's always going to be good. Purdue has a couple years where they're at the top. But this year you got, you got five, I'd say five or six teams 
they have a legitimate shot of being the top seed. Now, I think it's more a four, but I think you can make an argument for five or six teams being at the top at the end of the year. Definitely. And I'll say this about Nebraska. Nebraska, I know they're going to be near the bottom of the league again this year, Sean, but they have some players. They have some more athleticism. They have better shooters. Teddy Allen might be a name you'll want to keep an eye on. But, I mean, they're you know Fred Hoiberg is really working that transfer market. And they're going to be better – I think, in, especially in a couple of years. But, I mean, they're going to be better this season. But, like you said, I think the Big Ten top to bottom, I don't think it's a question as they're the best league in the country. As you mentioned, Texas and Shaka Smart, it seemed like his seat was boiling. But after a very good start to the season, they've really kind of gotten things under control there. They're looking like a really good team. That defense, man, was it's, it's fun to watch. And I'll say this about Illinois before we dive into Illinois football and Iowa. I think – what you saw last night, what Baylor did and the way they defended Illinois, I think that's the blueprint about how you beat Illinois. Now, most teams probably can't do what, what Baylor did. But I was very interested to see the way Io struggled. And Kofi Coburn, I mean, at the end of the day, he's got to give him foul trouble. And that, that's, that's what they did. They got that done early. But the amount of just pressure they put on Io and the shots they forced, that is a blueprint about how you – be Illinois. If you, if you basically make DeMonte Williams shoot jumpers, I know his percentage is good to start off the year. If that's their go-to option and Adam Miller struggles, who might be the big 10 freshman of the year, that's how that's kind of at least the beginning about how I think you beat Illinois this year. And January 29th, I think is going to be one of the most important, if not the most important game of the big 10 season between Iowa and Illinois. I know Wisconsin, and Iowa played in the very last game of the year, but I don't know, Sean, did you, you watched that Illinois-Baylor game last night, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, I watched a good portion of it. I didn't watch, like, the last three minutes because that's when Baylor really took a big lead. I mean, I watched the stretch that they had and the way they defended. And, yeah, you said it too. Like, Baylor, I mean, you could say that you're going to guard like Baylor. That's going to be the blueprint. But, you know, that's a lot harder to execute when you don't have some of the athletes like Baylor has and just the – the speed and quickness on the perimeter that they have and just the pesty, pesty guy guards that they have. I mean, Iowa's got a couple of those, but, I mean, I don't really think it's on the level of Baylor. Um, so it's definitely going to be a tough matchup. I mean, Illinois is legit. Like, there's no question about it. Like, Illinois definitely – I don't want to say a moral victory, but Illinois definitely had a chance to be in that game. It just proves that you've got to shoot the ball at a high clip if you want to win really great matchups like that. Like – you can play well, like maybe you can get away with a couple of things, but when you're playing teams like Gonzaga, Baylor, like even Texas just this year, Michigan State, Villanova, it granted Villanova lost, but you got to shoot the heck out of the ball. Like you got to be playing really well. You got to be executing in all areas if you want to win those games consistently too. And I mean, that's what makes it so hard to win NCAA tournament games because like there are going to be teams like that that are. Like, you've got the higher-ranked teams, but then you've got some of the mid-major teams that kind of feel like they have nothing to lose coming in. And they play balls to the wall, and, you know, you got to bring it every night. And that's what it's going to be like in Big Ten play this year, and I think that's what's going to make it so fun too. No, definitely. And like you mentioned, I, I'm pretty much in agreement with you. And if we're talking about teams that need to shoot the ball well, I mean, I think Iowa tops the list, but I also think that – Iowa's going to have a top two offense in the country. I think Gonzaga is the only offense I've seen that can really rival that. But granted, Iowa's deeper than 
than Gonzaga. Gonzaga typically only plays six or seven guys, and thankfully Jalen Suggs looks like he's going to be okay. I'm interested to see what the actual diagnosis is. He did come back in the game for a little bit, which I think was more of a morale boost for the rest of the team than anything else because that's when they kind of got things going again. Uh, but, you know, Sean, we can talk about college basketball and the state of it in the first couple, you know, the first week or two for over an hour. So let's just move on before we touch back into Iowa basketball in a bit. Let's go to the Iowa football matchup on Saturday, 2.30 kick on Fox Sports 1 against Illinois. I know you've written extensively already about this, previewing the game on Friday morning. I'll be putting up through the eyes of the enemy, Jeremy Werner of Alina Inquirer. Um, great, great analysis from him, very in-depth analysis. And I'll, I'll tease it this way. He knows that his prediction is going to ruffle some feathers and really uh, – Really, you know, he's waiting for the arrows to come as back from Iowa fans. So I'm interested to see what people have to say about that. But, Sean, let's start right at the top. Illinois didn't play last week because the COVID issues at Ohio State. But, you know, they've won back-to-back games. They're averaging over 300 yards per, per rushing yards in each of their last two wins. Granted, it's against an improved Rutgers team in Nebraska. Um, they've had very iffy quarterback play. That's not really a fault of Illinois, though. They've started four different quarterbacks this season. Uh, so let's just start right at the top like the way we always do, Sean. What what sticks out about the matchup, and we'll go from there. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned quarterback play. I mean, Brandon Peters missed three games due to COVID-19 and had a pretty tough game against Wisconsin, but honestly had one of his best games last week against Nebraska. I think he was 18 of 25 through for 205 yards threw a touchdown that had a couple plays on the ground. I mean, he's more of a pro-style type quarterback, but he's a guy that can make plays with his feet too and get out of the pocket if need be, which I think is we've seen the past couple weeks Iowa has had to deal with. I mean, granted, Adrian Martinez was 18 for 20, but usually he's not going to kill you with his arm. Luke McCaffrey more just looks to run rather than throws the ball and doesn't really go through progression. So there's that right there. I mean, you have Penn State, Sean Clifford, Will Levis, those guys are more dual threat but can make plays with their arm. And that's kind of what Peters is too. But I think he's more more comfortable, I'd say, with throwing the ball. Got a pretty high passer rating on pro football focus, 74.1. His rushing rating is also pretty high, 83.7. So those are notable things to know. But Kirk mentioned as well that maybe Illinois could bring out a two-quarterback look. Isaiah Williams is probably the guy they'd go with behind Peters. Well, I said Peters is more of a dual or pro style guy. Williams is all dual threat. I think he's thrown like maybe 21 passes this year and has like numerous more carries, um, like a like a considerable he's got, amount. He's got 35 carries and he's got you're right, 21 pass attempts completed seven of them. Yeah, so I mean, he's not a guy that's going to beat you with his arm. He's going to run the RPO type stuff and try to get to beat you with his feet. I mean, he's a wide receiver and a quarterback. Not really. I don't even. I wouldn't even say quarterback body. Like he's a wide receiver at the quarterback position. It's essentially running the wildcat when he's on the field. And I mean, he's been solid. And then I mean, the offensive line, while they're not graded super high on you know some of the analytics, especially Pro Football Focus, they got a couple dudes up front. Kendrick Green, I think, is a name that Iowa fans will remember. I think he was a member of the 2017 class. Um, was about to commit to Iowa, but then his dad told him, you know what, let's wait a little bit, and then ended up going to Illinois. Yep. He's a future NFL draft prospect at guard. Um, you know, they have a, they had an injury, Alex Palchuski at tackle. He's he's out for the rest of the year. He was one of their best tackles. Julian Pearl has done a good job in his place. Um, Vidarian Lowe has also been solid. Doug Kramer, 
at center is kind of a guy that they really wanted to see take that next step this year. But I think he missed the first three games due to COVID, returned, and has really struggled in his with his pass blocking and just his overall game as well. I mean, he's definitely a, a vital force to their offense, but he's really kind of been not efficient in the past couple of games, which has really hurt Illinois here and there. I mean, granted, they've gotten wins, but they're going to need Kramer to really be – to really step up. And to finish up offense, um, Josh and Matt Bebe, I think people will recognize him from last year. Didn't have the best game against Iowa a year ago. I think he had like 36 receiving yards or something like that. But he finished the year with eight or nine touchdowns, was Illinois' leading receiver. He's there, He's back this year. He's been good. I mean, he hasn't. he's not on pace to have the numbers that he had last year, but he's their leading receiver with um, 200 – I think it's 200 – 215 yards, two touchdowns, and I think 15 receptions as well. So he's a big target. Um, grew up friends with Tyler Goodson in, in Georgia, uh, North Gwinnett High School. So um, I don't know if he's North Gwinnett High School. I know he's Suwanee, but I don't think he's – I don't know if he's North I don't, I'm not sure if he's North – Gwinnett either but like you mentioned to Sean to go on Josh and or Bebe I don't think his numbers are a regression I'm going to reiterate the fact that Illinois has started four different quarterbacks in five games yeah. this season and Brandon Peters without a doubt is the best passer of that group I mean one of his touchdowns was I think a 40-yard touchdown in the Nebraska game beautiful pass great catch I mean he is a downfield threat and if Peters does get time in the pocket he is able to make those throws and as you mentioned, Kramer struggling up front. That's good news for Iowa's defensive tackles. Jack Heflin, who, by the way, is 100% healthy. He said last week he didn't start. He just had the common cold. He wasn't feeling great. Again, tested negative for COVID. He just had a cold. Heflin's back. And he's going against his home, ta- uh, home state uh, school. So that will be interesting to watch what he does against them. And Illinois was, really wanted him. Come, uh, when he just elected a transfer out of Northern Illinois. And Davion Nixon can look to continue his Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year uh, case. And I think that this will be another good game for him. And going on the rushing side of things, as I mentioned, I think they're averaging 311.5 yards in each of their last two wins. Uh, a couple guys to keep an eye on there. Chase Brown, 61 carries for 357 yards, two touchdowns. And Mike Epstein, 338 yards, six yards per carry. I mean, Sean, their top four rushers are all averaging over 5.9 yards per carry. As you mentioned, they are experiencing a little bit of injuries with uh, up front in the offensive line, and Iowa has been really solid against the run this season. I think Brandon Peters, again, he's not a burner, but he's very smart with when he decides to run the football. So I'm interested to see if Phil Parker does instigate that quarterback spy or if they try to bring more pressure because one of my big not criticisms I shouldn't say Sean but last week what stuck out to me was Iowa really did not blitz at all they had the quarterback spy at times they were blitzing I mean only rushing three if not four guys the Nebraska offensive line held up well but as a result Adrian Martinez Luke McCaffrey got all the time in the world of pocket to sit back and do what they want to do do they bring more pressure on Brandon Peters? I think so, just because, he, again, he's not the burner that Martinez or McCaffrey is. But at the same time, if Josh Maddow or Bebe, he's a guy that you probably don't want to give one-on-one coverage even against Iowa's you know, better cornerbacks. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yeah, no, 100%. And they got a couple other guys too, Donnie even Navarro, who actually grew up playing basketball against, who's a pretty good receiver, pretty efficient. The thing with Amater Bebe, I think at the top of my head, he's had about like four drops this year too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether that's just, you know, rust or, you know, working with different quarterbacks. I assume it's the latter, but that's something notable. Tight ends, I mean, Daniel Barker is their best tight end, guy that really gets the most snaps and, Luke Ford as well. I mean, doesn't hasn't really played too much. I don't I don't remember if it was COVID nineteen he hasn't played or he just honestly has not gotten the reps that many expected this year just because Barker has been so good. Um, Luke Ford also, was a former. D- they have Daniel Imador Bebe too, who's gotten a couple yeah. snaps over him too. Yeah, he struggled um, in terms of drops as well. I think he has like five catches and like two drops on the year or three receptions and like two drops. So. That's definitely kind of a concern. I mean, that could be just, you know, different quarterbacks or just, yeah, not really getting to a groove and kind of just how weird this year has been. Um, so, I mean, who knows? I mean, that's that's definitely something notable that you'll want to pay attention to. And I, you mentioned the running game, Dave. I, I totally forgot to mention it. I don't know why because that's what's really been their bread and butter the past two games, especially with the way they've run the ball. Um, Chase Brown being more type of that burner guy, kind of the guy who can get downfield, has a little bit of problems with patience at times, kind of reading the tackles, reading the blocks, but he's been pretty good. I mean, Mike Epstein had his best game of the season at the top of my head at uh, against Nebraska. Really he's kind of a guy that can run between the tackles. Also, also can beat you a speed a little bit, but he's more of a bruiser from what I've seen and has struggled with injuries as well. So this is kind of good for him to really get this year under his belt and really be – be healthy because you know that's that's the main thing especially with the running backs when you have when you're coming back from ACL injuries that's the, one of the toughest injuries to come back from if you're a tailback because that really limits your ability to cut and you know make different moves and move side to side like it's like running back is more than just running straight like you got to be able to cut back you got to be able to really spin off like make a couple plays with your feet that you know tip off the defenders and when that ACL kind of comes out, like that's 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 a tough thing to come back from um, in the long term as well. But kind of just like sum up the offense for Illinois. I mean, they definitely got playmakers, like we said with the wide receivers and the running backs with the way they played. But the offensive line, I mean, I'm I was surprised of where they ranked analytically because I think the Iowa offense or Iowa def- when we talked to the Iowa defensive players on. Tuesday I mean they mentioned that this is probably going to be one of the better defensive line groups that they play because or no offensive line groups that they play sorry because they they're so physical up front I mean they got some good guards the tackles have produced coming off great games Kramer like hasn't even played his best football in this offensive line still seems to be really really solid overall um, depending on which game you look at so yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting matchup. I think if Peters was more of a pro-style type guy that really couldn't move out of the pocket, I think Illinois-Iowa would have the advantage with that. 
But I think since Peters is a guy that's prone to really get outside the pocket and be able to make plays with his feet if need be, and even run some of that RPO stuff. I mean, I think Iowa's done a decent job against that this year. I don't have those stats in front of me, but I think, you know, if they're able to limit that up front and really keep a QB contained on them and not let the running backs really get into a groove or find the holes that they have in the past two games, I think the Iowa defense has the advantage, but I think Peters just being able to run and same thing with Isaiah Williams as well. Like that just adds a whole nother dynamic to this Illinois offense. A couple of names to keep in mind on defense before we dive more into the Iowa storylines. I think number one, you have to look at Jake Hansen, linebacker. I believe he's the NCAA active career leader in forced fumbles. I believe he has 13 for his career. And this Illinois team, Sean, especially this defense, the first thing that stands out to me, they are some heavy hitters. I mean, they look to absolutely lay you out. I think every, they're one of the more entertaining defenses to watch just because of how crazy aggressive that they are. Another guy to keep in mind is Owen Carney Jr., six and a half tackles for loss, four and a half sacks, which leads the team. Uh, uh, also a forced fumble. Jake Hansen, as I mentioned, has six and a half tackles for loss, a sack, two interceptions, two forced fumbles, and two fumble recoveries. He's been very good for them as well. But again, this fight in the Illini defense, I mean, they definitely fight in because, the, again, those guys are probably the hardest-hitting team I've watched in college football this season. And Tyler Goodson and Mackay Sargent have done much better since the second game of the year when they had a pair of turn. Was it against Purdue or, or Northwestern that they, they had a pair of fumbles in opposing territory? It was Purdue, uh, that was, wasn't it? That was Purdue, yeah. They've done a much better job since the Purdue game, but – this is a group that specializes on takeaways. They're experienced with it. It drives their team. So, of course, you know, Iowa's downplaying, oh, there's not an extra emphasis on ball security. It's one of the top things we preach every week, yada, yada, yada. There's no way, there's no way they aren't emphasizing it this week because that's a Lovey Smith special. So, those are a couple names to keep an eye on there. Sean, let's, let's go back to the flip side. Let's go to the Iowa team. What are you looking for this week, and what does Iowa need to do well? I think the first thing that pops in my head was I was very surprised to see Tyler Goodson get 30 carries last week against Nebraska. Not that I'm disagreeing with the decision, but with the slow start, it really felt like it was a waiting game. Okay, it was a matter of when they were going to put in Makai Sargent, and they really didn't. They kept going with Tyler Goodson, and Goodson rewarded them with 85 second-half yards. He was much more physical between the tackles, stopped looking for the home run play. But I'm very interested to see where Makai Sargent fits in all this. And I'll say it again, especially with the troubles in the passing game, which we'll talk about, we have to talk about Spencer Petras here in a bit. But Iowa has to run the football against this Illinois team if they want to come out with a win. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I'm, I'm curious to, to, like, I don't, I mean, I don't know exactly, but maybe Goodson with the type. Because, I mean, Sargent really didn't have a rough game against Nebraska either. I mean, he got limited carries, but. I wonder if it was more of a confidence thing in Goodson. I mean, he had a couple breakout breakout um, runs to really kind of get things going in the second half. But, I mean, obviously the first half wasn't wasn't huge. So, you know, that maybe it's a confidence thing. Maybe they're like Goodson, like Tyler, like you're the number one guy. Like we want you to get most of the carries. Like we need you to. And maybe it was a confidence thing or a guy that they kind of just wanted to roll with and see where things went from there. So, I don't know. That's that's interesting. Um, I definitely think that Iowa needs to get their run game going. I mean, that's really not 
really not in question anymore that this team is much better when the ground game is really effective and with the way that Petrus has been throwing the ball this year and kind of the kind of the whole mess with the passing game and I wouldn't say mess but inconsistency with the passing game and not making some of the throws that he really needs to I think that's what makes yeah the run game so much more important is getting into that groove and you know really finding consistency on the ground because Illinois from from what I understand like they've they've had a little bit of struggles too against what their what their uh run defense I think mm-hmm. at the top of my head I think they are 10th in the country in rushing yards allowed per game which I mean is pretty pretty notable I think they're average I think they're allowing opponents to run like 230 yards or something like that on the ground per game and that's definitely a notable stat just the way Iowa runs the ball and likes to play that smash mouth football type but that also makes you prone to, you know, cough up the ball at times. Like, and get lazy with it. Because if you're running too much and you're kind of just getting in a good groove, like, before you know it, Jake Hansen's going to come down and deliver a huge hit on you and force a fumble. Like, he's not he's not on the path like he was last year. I think he had, like, he led the country with, like, seven forced fumbles last year. Yeah. And really, like, it felt like every game he was forcing a fumble. And, I mean, he's – I mean, obviously, statistically, it's not as bad prominent or prevalent it was last year but it's still definitely something to keep an eye on because of how hard he's able to get downfield or downhill and really deliver a hit and that's why you got to take care of the ball in those situations too that's what's going to make it so important yeah a couple things too as as you mentioned Illinois right now is 11th in the Big Ten in rushing defense allowing 195 per game interestingly enough Iowa has the best rushing defense by average only allowing 2.8 yards per carry but despite that they've allowed seven touchdowns so again something that stood out to me there but Iowa right now Sean I believe is second in the Big Ten in rushing touchdowns with 16 I believe Minnesota has 17 the only team above but running I I hate saying this because it sounds so cliche but I think it is especially true in this game Iowa has to run the football Tyler Goodson has to get over 100 yards and they have to make Brandon Peters beat them through the air I think if Iowa can do those two things they're going to be a good spot. And speaking of passing offense, I kind of sounded off against Spencer Petrus on when we recorded our post-game podcast the following day. I'm still pretty much in that same boat after re-watching that game. But as Kirk Ferentz mentioned, they're all in on, I think, at least for the rest of this season. And he, he's the most experienced player in that room right now. He's He has the leadership intangibles. There's no way – Iowa's making a switch right now, barring an injury. And the reality is, and, and Kirk Ferentz said too, people might scoff at it, but it is true. They're winning games right now with Spencer at quarterback. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, is what's most important. Could things be going better? Yeah. Does he need to make significant strides in order to really retain that quarterback spot next year? Yeah, I, I think so. But I think the thing, Sean, that bothers me about Spencer is maybe you'll disagree with me. I haven't seen much progression. I mean, I can't really tell the difference between his week one start and what he did last week. The only thing I'll say, and maybe a trend I've noticed, he starts off strong in the first quarter. I believe he was 8 of 11 last week for 95 yards and a touchdown, right? But when he goes off script, when Iowa runs out of their 15 to 20 scripted plays, he just gets completely rattled. And I think that's 
something that really needs to change is he has to be able to learn to go with the flow of the game, maintain that poise, maintain that confidence because football is not going to be played on a piece of paper. It's not going to be scripted out. You have to have the intangible qualities. You have to have the ability to be versatile. You have the ability to basically just play, play within the flow of the game. And I think right now that's a big part of, of Spencer Petras that that's missing from this Iowa offense. Definitely. I think, I'm kind of the guys that's not as hard as him as maybe some others. Like, I do think there were some throws that, like, yes, you have to make. But I think overall you look at no spring practice, such a weird summer. And, you know, first year, like, yeah, like, you know, he's been behind Stanley for two and a half years. But, you know, that's a big difference. Like, taking the leap as quarterback one, the consistent guy, all that pressure, like, that's a big jump from being a backup quarterback against, I would say, one of the more – you know, underrated quarterbacks in Iowa history and Nate Stanley. Like, that's a lot to come back from. I mean, I I think Petrus is the guy in the long term. Like, I think in the next two or three years, I think he is the guy. Now, I think, you know, we've said before, I think there will be somewhat of a quarterback competition in the spring. But I still think, you know, Petrus is the guy that wins that and is the guy that leads this offense for the next two to three seasons because – you know, I think the intangibles are there. Like you said, I think he can throw the ball. I think his accuracy is going to get better. I mean, I've heard from multiple people that he is just a smart dude in terms of understanding the X's and O's. And like you said, too, I mean, I know most more than football is more than X's and O's. You got to be able to apply, you know, different things on the field and make adjustments. But, you know, as far as just his instincts at times, like, you know, the interception was against Nebraska was probably one of the more you know, confusing interceptions that we've ever seen from, you know, an Iowa quarterback or really any quarterback. Like, I think overall, like, he gets the game of football. He understands it. He understands the quarterback position. It's just a matter of putting it out on the field. Now, how how long until people are like, okay, like that, like that argument, like you can't – you that doesn't apply anymore because, you know, it's been this long. Like, it's been six weeks. Like, I, I continue to think that if Iowa had a normal – normal schedule, normal offseason, normal everything, normal non-conference games that Petrus would be in much better shape right now. I think people would be loving Spencer Petrus. I think he's going to put it together eventually. I don't know how long it is, but you just look at how things have really progressed this year, and of course you're disappointed. But I really think it's going to come together a matter of time. I don't know how soon. I don't even know if it will be this season. But I think it's only a matter of time before he starts to click and really, really figure things out from a quarterback, from a starting quarterback perspective. I think the big thing, Sean, is he needs a breakout performance. I think yeah. once he has that, it establishes the confidence. But with that being said, there still has to be an open quarterback competition in the spring. Four touchdowns in six games with this receiving core and this offensive line. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I'm not dismissing what you're saying. I think it's irresponsible if Iowa doesn't go into the spring and summer without an open quarterback competition. Based on the results of what we've seen right now, that has to be the case. And again, I think Petrus, on top of everything else, which I haven't mentioned before we get into our final predictions here, he has not discovered the ability to throw the football away, number one. Like most Iowa quarterbacks, I feel like. I mean, Stanley had the same problem. Uh, Beathard at times had the same problem. He got much better as a senior, but – he just doesn't have the improvising ability and he doesn't have the ability to escape the pocket. He escapes the pocket at the wrong time. And 
again, I think that's one of the more maddening things about this entire entire thing. But I, again, I think we could go on about this for an hour, Sean. Let's before we talk a little bit of basketball, before we wrap this up, let's dive into our keys and our final prediction. I know you have this one going, actually being pretty close. Yeah, I have Iowa 24, Illinois 21. I think it's going to be a really similar to last year in that Illinois finds a way to keep it close and really doesn't – Illinois or Iowa doesn't really get that big that big lead that they've had in the past couple of games at times. I mean, excluding Nebraska, but the three games before that. So I think it's going to be a close one. I think Illinois, they're on the, they're on the rise, especially after the two wins that they've had. I was really impressed with what they did against Nebraska. Um, I think I think the Illini are going to keep it close, and I think you know I think Iowa extends their extends their winning streak over in Illinois to seven, but I really don't think it's going to be easy at all. Yeah, so I got I've changed my prediction about three times. I think I have thirty-one to twenty. Iowa wins. Iowa has not allowed twenty-five uh, an opponent to score twenty-five or more points against them in the last twenty games. I don't see Illinois' offense being the team that breaks that barrier. Iowa's offense over the past four weeks or so, four games has averaged nearly 39, 40 points a game. I don't think they get quite to that mark, but I think Iowa runs the ball significantly better than it did last week against Illinois. I think Tyler Goodson has another touchdown, has another 100 yards. And I think it's very possible that Tyler Goodson is the Big Ten all-second team by the end of the season. He's second in the Big Ten rushing yards, has scoring touchdowns. He's doing well. And I think Makai Sargent gets a little bit more work as well and I'm going to go off the maybe this is a bold prediction or not Sean I don't know why I just have a feeling this will be Spencer Petrus's first multi-touchdown game through the air I think that he's going to find Brand Smith I think he's going to find Sam Laporta for his first career touchdown as well so we'll see what happens there again I have Iowa 31-20 Sean we'll talk a little bit of basketball uh, before we kind of wrap this up we won't dive too much in North Carolina just because we'll talk about that in another podcast in a couple of days to kind of really give an in-depth preview about that. We're going to pause here for just a few seconds, and we'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Sean back the Swarmcast, David Eichholz, Sean Bach. And Sean, Iowa is 2-0. They're hosting Western Illinois tonight. Uh, Iowa is a 32.5-point favorite. Won't go too much into a preview about this game, but more so just general observations about the team. A couple of things to keep in mind. Western Illinois has a new coaching staff, and they have 14 new players Sean, for a scouting report, I think Billy Taylor had the scout this week. That's incredibly difficult to put together. I don't think I've ever heard of a team that knows less about an opponent than Iowa does Western Illinois uh, right now. But a big note that I really want to dive into right away is uh, Jack Nungy, the redshirt sophomore forward who missed the first two games following the tragic death of his father. And, again, our prayers and condolences and positive thoughts with him and his family. Jack Nungy has returned to the Iowa team. He will play tonight. And I think that I don't want to say a game changer for this game specifically, Sean, but based on issues that I saw through the first couple of games for this Iowa team, this is a very, very big addition to this Hawkeye squad. 
Yeah, it's huge. I mean, we liked what we saw to Keegan Murray and Patrick McCaffrey in the first few games, and obviously the way Luca was able to dominate. But, you know, just having the depth and having the size that in length that Nunji possesses is going to be huge for Iowa, um, just in terms of depth and, you know, overall production too. Like Nunji, inside-outside guy on offense, can really defend too, block shots if need be. Um, and, you know, just what we've heard, too, behind the scenes of how he's been able to play throughout the preseason and throughout the offseason and even before his injury as well. Like, that's really, really promising for this Iowa team. And to get him back before North Carolina, too, I think is huge. I mean, I know, you know, he takes all the time that he needs. Like, obviously, that's what's more important at this point. But I think when you're talking from a basketball perspective, getting him back on the court, getting him back acclimated kind of just into everyday thing and just the everyday life of a college basketball player. I mean, there's really no replace or really no way to really heal from that, from what happened. But, you know, just to get him back, I think is what's really big. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just huge, especially after a moment like that, just getting him back in the groove and getting him acclimated into everything that he that he was doing before everything that happened. So, you know, it's good for him. I'm sure it's going to be an emotional night for him and the rest of the team. But, you know, over I think overall, like, it's it's just really important that he's back and he's back and really getting into a, getting into a rhythm with everything that he did. I think Fran McCaffrey summed it up best when he said he's hoping that basketball and being around this team can be like a sanctuary for Jack. And I, again, I don't think you could have really phrased that any better. And, you know, from a, from a, from a basketball standpoint, Sean, I think it's a really big deal that he came back before North Carolina, because especially after only playing in five games last year and even redshirting the previous year to get a game under his belt, get his feet wet again before a team like North Carolina comes in. I think that's a very big deal. I would not be surprised to see him play significant minutes tonight just to really kind of get him in the flow of everything. But, and I'll say this, I think that Jack Nunji might be the most important player uh, when Iowa does take on North Carolina next week. But again, we'll dive more into that as the time goes on. But Sean, you know, I, I got to ask, because I don't even know if you know this, did you watch that game against Southern ever? Uh, I mean, I've watched bits and pieces of it, but really didn't do a deep dive into it. So I know we touched on this last week, but I still think it's worth resurfacing because I've rewatched both games multiple times just to get more of an understanding of this Iowa team, no matter the competition. I want to see if you notice this too. I think that I was asked earlier today, what role do I see Patrick McCaffrey having on this team when Jack Nunji returned? I still think Patrick McCaffrey might be at most a 20-minute guy, but maybe he's in that 13 to 17-minute range, gives you good minutes off the bench, but – Patrick McCaffrey in that full court press, if Iowa can get out of their press quicker and not give up so many open threes and layups, like corner threes and layups that they did throughout the first two games, that press defense could be a game changer for this Iowa, for this Iowa team. And I think Patrick McCaffrey is the exact guy that you want at the very top of that full court press. Right. And I mean, people talk about Patrick McCaffrey, how offensively sound he was in high school and just his ability to score. But you know, I think the one thing that a lot of people were forgetting too is just how good he is with his length and just how frustrating that is for opposing offenses because he's so lengthy and because he can make plays and really disrupt the defense with his size. And that's – I mean, we saw we saw a bunch of that against Southern – or against uh, North Carolina Central. 
and I don't know how much we saw it against Southern, but I imagine we saw it or people saw a good deal of it. But, you know, I've, I heard before the season that Iowa was looking to press more, looking to really try and get pressure on some of these guys. They made that a priority in practice. And I think a big reason for that too is with Matt McCaffrey's return. I mean, don't get me wrong, Joe Wieskamp, he's a solid defender, but he's not as lengthy as Patrick McCaffrey. And mm-hmm. I think Fran would really, really prefer to have McCaffrey at the top or son or Patrick at the top of that zone and really use his length and wingspan to frustrate opponents. Cause I mean, he moves well too. I'm mean, not to say that Joe Wieskamp wasn't, but I think, you know, McCaffrey's more versatile in that position and can really make more of an impact with his length and with how, you know, how long he is. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, too. And as we mentioned, we talked a lot of basketball through the first two games on our Swarmcast last week, so be sure to listen to that. We're going to do a very big deep dive in North Carolina uh, after this weekend's football matchup against Iowa-Illinois. But, yeah, Sean, it is interesting, though, when you, we already talked about looking around the country and seeing what teams are, you know have been able to do against other top teams. But I think there's without a doubt right now Gonzaga, Baylor are the best two teams in the country. Are you, you agree with that? Yeah, I don't really think there's an argument to be made. Say a tier below, I think you could throw Illinois, maybe you throw in, uh, maybe you throw in Iowa. I think you could throw in a few other teams there. But very, if Iowa wants to see how far away they are from being a potential Final Four team or even a team that wins the Big Ten, December 19th, I think, could tell us a lot. And if Iowa doesn't win that game, it's going to say this is what a national championship team looks like. And I think that will be a very important step there too. Before we really wrap this up, Sean, again, we're going to talk a lot of Iowa basketball in the next podcast with when we preview North Carolina, but I got to mention this. Iowa women's basketball is going to be a lot of fun to watch these next few years, Sean. And Caitlin Clark could play for Iowa for five seasons. And what she's done already in her first two games I mean, Iowa fans are so lucky. I mean, they get Megan Gustafson, they get Ali Disterhoff, they got Sam Logic, and now they get Caitlin Clark, who I think it'll be interesting to follow her career, Sean, because she she has a mean step back. She had 30 points, 13 assists, and three steals, four steals in her second ever game last night and as she helped Iowa come back from 11 points down middle of the fourth quarter uh, to beat Drake. But Lisa Bluter continues to get the job done with the women's team and I gotta say again Caitlin Clark's a hooper if you don't watch much women's basketball Iowa fans I'm telling you whenever they're on TV I think you gotta watch them don't forget about uh, my fellow Bennett Academy alum Kathleen Doyle she's she got drafted this year too so yeah I mean obviously I don't know too much about Iowa women's basketball recruiting but just what I've heard from people kind of in the know about it is that Lisa Bluter's done a great job on the recruiting trail. And the way she's able to get some of these star-powered players, I think really speaks to the success that the program has had because it's been consistently good over the past few years. I know they had some struggles, I think, a couple of years ago um, here and there but because they were a younger team. But, you know, just the way they've been able to put it together and really pretty productive – um, and really kind of just bounce back year after year with the new faces that they have. It's it's really remarkable to see. And, you know, I think it's only a matter of time before Lisa Bluter gets that gets that bump in her salary and gets gets the love that she deserves because I think she's really just a fantastic coach. And, you know, with all the talent that the state of Iowa has, that's going to be even more appealing to, you know, 
some of those prospects to come to a place like Iowa City who's had that success and has had players drafted, which is which is really cool to see. And as you see, I think, in women's basketball and basketball in general, Sean, what wins games in March and in the NCAA tournament? It's guard play. And Caitlin Clark, I believe, is the number one point guard in her recruiting class. She certainly lived up to that hype. And, I mean, it's crazy to think about this, and it's so early to think about this, Sean, but she has the potential to be on that Mount Rushmore for Iowa athletes, and especially Iowa women's basketball. I mean, she has that caliber uh, of ceiling and – I'll say this, which really stuck out to me. Uh, Sean, again, she had 30 points, 13 assists last night. But uh, she's the only freshman to reach 30 points and 10 assist, at least 10 assists since 2015. And there's been some really, really good guards across, uh, across college basketball uh, for the women's game. So, again, especially once if, you know, whenever fans get to go in and Iowa typically does a really good job of putting fans in seats for women's basketball. And I think that's only going to get better because I'm telling you, Caitlin Clark's going to get headlines, assuming, you know, she stays healthy and that team continues to go on the trend that they are on. She's a tremendous talent. Watch her play, go watch her highlights. I mean, the step backs and everything, great passer. It'll be fun to watch and cover her career as it kind of unfolds. But, uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us. We'll be back on Saturday post-Iowa, Illinois, and we'll also preview Iowa and North Carolina sometime early in the next week when Iowa ta- – no, again, Iowa takes on North Carolina next Tuesday at inside Carver-Hawkeye Arena. The game will be televised on ESPN. So thanks to all of you for listening, and be sure to stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com. For the latest, again, follow Sean Bach on Twitter, sbach247, me, David Eichel, and Hawkeyes on 247. And for the most in-depth Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting coverage, be sure to go to hawkeyeinsider.com, 24-7 sports. Again, thanks to all of you. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.